Welcome to Quantum Magazine's podcast. Each episode, we bring you stories about developments in science and mathematics. I'm Susan Vallett. If you've ever seen a flying fish shoot out of the water and zip along above the surface for long distances, you know how magical it can be. It can do that because its paired pectoral and pelvic fins are longer and more rigid than those of other fish. They act like airfoils, allowing the flying fish to escape predators below the surface. It's a quirky triumph of evolution. These creatures that were once strictly aquatic transformed into something that can become temporarily airborne through just a few modifications in body shape. But how did they evolve? That's next. Explore more science mysteries in the quanta book, Alice and Bob Meet the Wall of Fire, published by the MIT Press. Available now at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, or your local bookstore. Also, make sure to tell your friends about the Quanta Magazine Science Podcast and give us a positive review or follow where you listen. It helps people find this podcast. Recently, a group of researchers led by Matthew Harris of Harvard Medical School and Boston Children's Hospital reported the genetic basis for the evolution of the unusual flying fish fins. They discovered that changes in just two genes were sufficient to create the distinctive body shape of flying fish. When those mutations occurred in a species of common aquarium fish, its proportions began to shift in similar ways. Harris says when they started out in the field, there was no thinking that they'd be able to make these large jumps using such simple rules. The study appeared in Current Biology in November. The findings are noteworthy because in part they hint that bioelectric signals within developing tissues, not just morphogenetic chemical ones, can regulate the growth and shape of developing fins and possibly other structures. This study and earlier work also clearly illustrate how small genetic changes can sometimes produce big morphological changes that have important evolutionary consequences. Much of the diversity of animal forms in nature arises from natural selections tinkering with the genetic programs that control development. Tweaks to the timing and speed of tissue growth can stretch or shrink structures or even insert and delete bones to create novel adaptations that open new niches for species. Evo Devo, the biological study of this process, has a long history, but only relatively recently have researchers been able to start looking for the genes responsible for specific changes. To search for the genetic basis of the flying fish's body shape, researchers in the Harris lab began by sequencing and comparing the genomes of 35 species of flying fish and their close relatives. They looked for regions of DNA that had changed unusually quickly between species, and they identified genes that seemed to have evolved under selection pressure. This comparative analysis allowed researchers to look for the main factors driving the formation of the new body type. Joost Woltering is an evolutionary biologist at the University of Konstanz in Germany who works on the evolution and development of fin and limb diversity. He says, how are you going to find out if the gene really is the smoking gun that makes the difference? 
cannot modify it in the frying dish, so you have to turn to something where you actually can do that. So Harris's team turned to zebrafish, freshwater minnows widely kept as aquarium pets, but also as research animals. His team used chemicals and gamma rays to create random mutations in more than 10,000 zebrafish embryos. They searched those that survived to adulthood for interesting adult traits or phenotypes. This approach was unusual because genetic studies of zebrafish typically focus on the embryonic development of the animals. Jacob Daney was a postdoc in the Harris lab at the time. Daney and his colleagues also screened a collection of previously known zebrafish mutants with long fins. They were trying to refine their search for gene variants that might be regulating the growth of the flying fish's fins. The group homed in on two, a mutation that makes cells overexpress potassium channels on their outer membrane, and a loss of function mutation that disables cells' ability to transport the amino acid leucine. The researchers showed that in zebrafish, loss of function mutations in the leucine transporter cause all fins to be short. The overexpression mutation of the potassium channels causes all fins to be long. Either of those mutations by itself produces a clumsy fish, but when the two mutations are combined, the resulting zebrafish has long paired pectoral fins and shorter median fins, exactly the form of the flying fish. Daney, who recently launched his own lab at the University of Houston, says a single point mutation in some cases can give you really big fins. He says he doesn't know of many other systems where that's the level of simplicity in terms of major scale changes to an organ size like that. The flying fish body plan evolved independently several times in various lineages. It always relied on the same types of mutations in the leucine transporter and the potassium channel. The leucine transporter mutations in the different lineages aren't identical, but they cause the same amino acid change. That's a clue that the lineages independently hit on the same genetic trick to evolve this shape. Sarah McMiniman is a fish evolutionary developmental biologist at Boston College. The different flying fishes happened a couple of different times in evolution. This gliding ability definitely evolved independently, convergently several different times in a couple of different lineages. And I think that their findings are really interesting because they find that the same type of mutation has evolved independently in these different lineages. They talk about this very, very carefully, saying like, well, this could have been drawn from pre-existing diversity. It's not necessarily that this was exactly the same type of mutation that occurred multiple different times. But in the modern lineages, we do see a lot of different groups having similar mutations that are not identical, but they cause the same amino acid change. So nature has targeted the same specific gene in a couple of different contexts. How the potassium channel mutation causes the extra growth in the fin is still a mystery. Matthew Harris says it's not like a receptor-ligand interaction, where things are binding to the receptor inside the cell and they travel down and trigger transcription. 
Rather, overexpression of the potassium channel changes the resting membrane potential and the pH of the cytoplasm, which makes the cell more active and responsive. As a result, the fin cells start to exhibit signaling traits usually associated with neurons and stem cells. Harris says it's possible that the changes in cell signaling might alter how the fin grows, but that's still speculative. When the researchers prevented potassium ions from passing between the fin cells, it basically negated the potassium channel mutation. When they did this, it blocked the growth of the fins. They hypothesized that during some stages of development, the cells of the fin operate like a syncytium, a single cytoplasmic mass with many nuclei floating in it. If so, the potassium ions could be setting up an electric field that extends across the entire fin. Harris says this creates more potential for long-range signaling coordination. Other researchers have also seen evidence that electric fields may play an underappreciated role in guiding the form of developing tissues. The new work builds on an earlier discovery about the evolution of appendages that came from the Harris Lab in February of 2021. The study in Cell is by Brent Hawkins, Katrin Hinka, and Matthew Harris. It showed that a single mutation can awaken a latent potential for limb patterning in zebrafish fins, even though it's been 450 million years since the ancestors of zebrafish diverged from the lineages that later gave rise to tetrapods, or four-limbed animals. Here's Hawkins. The actual discovery of this mutant was really exciting. It's just one of the many mutants that came out of a really large genetic screen that was being conducted in Matt Harris's lab by a, a postdoc at time named Katrin Hanka. And she pulled out all these really fabulous mutants. And we were one day just looking at the skeletons of these things. So, you know, we get the mutants. We know there's something weird with them, but we don't know exactly what. And then we need to, you know, look more closely at the skeleton and things, dissect them, look what's there. And just looking under the microscope, we looked at the pectoral fin and saw these extra bones. And we're like, well, what the heck? Those aren't supposed to be there. We were kind of dumbfounded and pretty shocked that we found it. Two other studies in cell looked at the genomes of early branching ray-finned fishes and African lungfish. They suggested that a capacity to build limbs was present in the common ancestor of all bony fish. The pectoral fin of a zebrafish normally connects to the body with just one layer of bony elements, the proximal radials, which articulate directly with the fish's shoulder. But in the mutant zebrafish that the Harris team uncovered in their genetic screen, two new intermediate radial bones formed a joint with the proximal radials. Here's Hawkins again. When we looked more closely, we saw we're not just making a new bone, but the bone was well patterned. It looks just like the other long bones in the appendage, and it makes this very nice joint structure in between the elements where they articulate. We even found that the musculature, which normally does not attach to the skeleton in the fish, that actually the muscles are inserting and originating on these brand new bones. So with one mutation, we're not just making this new, you know, piece of bony tissue. We're making a brand new structure that's well integrated, well patterned. This kind of throwback, reaching back over hundreds of millions of years of evolution, reveals how ancient and shared the genetic grammar for making fins and limbs is. Here's Sarah McMiniman again. What the Paris lab has shown with this work is really that 
the genetic potential to make these elaborations in the endoskeleton are still retained in modern race-finned fish, and they still have the developmental potential to build more elaborated structures. New studies continue to roll in from other labs, further reinforcing the point that fins and limbs develop under the genetic influence of highly conserved mechanisms. In November, a paper in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences identified a gene that regulates both the formation of digits in tetrapod limbs and the structure of the outer edges of fins. That same month, a study in current biology looked at gerboas, tiny bipedal rodents that can hop, skip, and run at amazing speeds. That study revealed that the elongated hind feet of gerboas resulted from a gene that causes disproportionate bone growth in their limbs, similar to the growth seen in the fins of flying fish. Marcus Davis, an evolutionary developmental biologist at James Madison University, says evidence has accumulated that limbs and fins have a shared developmental genetic basis, even studies of sharks. What you can see from shark gene expression is basically a conserved pattern of the same networks of genes expressed in very mouse-like patterns of gene expression that suggest that not just for the paired fins, but for unpaired fins in general, there is a what we call a deep homology of patterning these appendages that is very ancient and is expected to go to the origin of just what we would call a fin. And then a limb is just a modification of that structure with a couple of idiosyncrasies like the loss of the dermal part of the fin. So it's a modified and in some ways simplified fin. And Another completely different data set, which is that the fossil record tells us that those anatomies are ancient as well. And so we can track the fossil record back to before the bony fish split, the ray fin, lobe fin fish split, not just to sharks, but a variety of fossil forms that no longer have representative lineages on the planet that suggests that these anatomies are ancient and conserved. Which really leads to the most interesting question, which is where the hell did the original program come from? The developmental program for fins and limbs was likely modified from an even more ancient developmental program for other parts of the body. It had to come from somewhere. It didn't simply build overnight. So what other part of building the body sort of was modified over time to build that appendage program? Tetsuya Nakamura is a developmental biologist at Rutgers University who studies the fish tetrapod transition. He suspects that the genetic program for building paired fins and limbs is derived from the development of dorsal and anal fins, which are even more ancient than paired fins. Lampreys, the group of jawless fish that first evolved about a half a billion years ago, have dorsal and anal fins, but no paired fins. But even though disparate appendages and body shapes have roots in the same ancient genetic networks, Yost Woltering says the shifts between those forms were major transitions. He says he definitely believes the tetrapod limb is an evolutionary novelty. Consequently, there's a lot left to learn about what enabled those changes to evolve. The Harris Lab approaches this in an unconventional way, which Davis praised as atypical and modern, or in the words of Sarah McMiniman, With regards to these two particular papers, I think that they really represent kind of a tour de force of some of the 
tools that we now have available. Matthew Harris's lab does very creative work, and it's fearless in many ways. The work in the Harris lab points to one way that EvoDevo researchers might find answers. In the hunt for genes regulating developmental programs, studies often look to certain usual suspects. But the Harris team took a more agnostic approach, using comparative genomics and large-scale genetic screens to identify fish with interesting, relevant phenotypes. Here's McMiniman again. They had to be totally willing to follow where that phenotype led. And they did. Matt Carlstrom helped with this episode. I'm Susan Vallett. For more on this story, read Vivian Collier's full article, Flying Fish and Aquarium Pets Yield Secrets of Evolution, on our website, quantamagazine.org. Quanta Magazine is an editorially independent online publication supported by the Simons Foundation to enhance public understanding of science. 